For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. New York Fashion Week has just started. So it's a perfect time to listen to this interview with Hilary Taymor. She's the founder of the much-talked-about label Kalina Strada. They make locally in small runs using mostly dead stock. And they do all kinds of upcycling stuff, like they've worked with The Real Real to upcycle unsold stuff out of their warehouse. And, oh yeah, also with Liz Ricketts from the Ore Foundation. So basically they're upcycling T-shirts that have been diverted as waste streams in America. So before they head offshore, where, as we know, too much fashion waste ends up in places like Cantamanto Market in Ghana. And actually, if you haven't listened to our episode with Liz Ricketts, it's number 150. I love it. I highly recommend that one. But yeah, Kalina Strada is certainly making noise about sustainability in the New York fashion scene. And I've got to say, it's kind of a bit behind on this there, right? Just not enough brands talk deeply about sustainability there yet, I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, actually, one exception worth noting is Mara Hoffman, who was on the show this time last year. And that was episode 156, if you want to revisit. She's fab. Anyway, what makes Kalina Strada special? I think it's this mix of taking sustainability seriously with a kind of underground cool factor. Because, you know, Maybe there's still this feeling about eco being granola, in some circles anyway, right? People feel like it's too worthy, it's not cool. And so I think Kalina Strada is like the antidote to that for a new wave of New York creatives. It's very edgy, it's anti-establishment. Hillary doesn't play the game. She knows who her audience is and they love her for being authentic. Another thing related to that, I guess, is representation and who they cast in their shows and campaigns. I'm reluctant to say diversity and inclusion because that is just not how Hillary sees it. They cast their community, their friends and artists that they admire. So whether it's uh, (laughs) the label's co-designer Charlie's septuagenarian mum or Maybe it's like the model Erin Phillips, self-described as a black woman in a wheelchair who happens to be trans, or a musician like Dorian Electra. So what do the clothes look like? Okay, well, last season, the handbags on the runway were literally bunches of broccoli in Swarovski harnesses. (laughs) So good. Um, No journalist ever seems to be able to profile Hillary without using the word irreverent. The New York Times describes their aesthetic as sunny punk and the face reckons it's new age flower child day wear. I like that. <laughs> There's certainly a bit of 90s rave culture to it aesthetically. I asked Hillary to describe her clothes and she said she couldn't, that you have to look at them. But if Kalina Strada were a blank sheet of paper, she'd write on it, chaos. <laughs> All right, let's embrace the chaos. Welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast, Hilary Taymor. I've been really looking forward to this. I've been wanting to interview you for ages and I really admire what you do with Kalina Strada. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. I've been doing a bit of research. 
watching videos and reading past interviews with you. You've told a journalist more than once, we're just trying to make fashion a little less horrible. So let's start there. Why, why do you think fashion is or can be horrible? Well, you've worked in fashion now. Um, I think it can be so contrived and so serious and so um, bullshitty that it's hard to take things seriously when you come across something that serious. I thought your answer was going to be around its pollution the way it makes us overconsume. Also, but it's that. more around the attitude, right? That it can be I like think, it's a I bit. I think it's both, you know. And like I'm just saying, the bullshit of like greenwashing and stuff like that. Like the fact that someone's like, "Oh, I made this T-shirt with 60% less water." Like, shut up. Um, I think it's more, you know, taking fashion as a whole and deconstructing it and be like, why? What part? Literally, any industry is like this. It's not just fashion. It's all politics and all hierarchy and classism and it's just how we go about it and just try to create a wholeness of community and make things a little bit kinder more positive humble i love that okay let's get that word sustainability out of the way i was going to ask you what your relationship with it was like uh it's you know it's a love-hate relationship, right? I love I love the idea of achieving it, but it's nearly impossible. So it is a challenge that I keep attacking. You wrote in your, I think it was spring 20 show notes, I'm struggling to figure out how to be as responsible and transparent as possible. I'm learning daily how to build better business practices and design with consciousness. Yeah, I mean, when you have to design a hundred SKUs of something a season four times a year, you start to get drained a little bit of why a product needs to exist in the planet and like what its purpose is instead of being like, you know, having those like three moments of ecstasy where you're like, I want to make this dress and it needs to look like this and this is exactly what I want it to be then I call it the fluff that you have to design into of like, okay, this girl who's going to want this gown, what's her summer dress or what's her, you know, long sleeve shirt. And that needs to sit on the rail alongside of these great moments. But how do you also make those moments great? Because I don't believe that making product just to make product sake or merchandising plans, numbers, correct, or percentages is the point of, where we are in this planet. I don't think it's necessary anymore. So it is a constant struggle to feel like everything on the board is something I want in my closet. Mm. But there's still the pressure to keep up with the system, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, my whole team is impacted on whether or not I can achieve that. Because then that adds a job or that adds someone to get a raise or, you know, all these things that, you know, people rely on me to achieve. Um, it's all interconnected and intertwined together, whether or not I have six extra dresses for wedding season in my collection. <laughs> I think we don't talk about this very much when we when we ask designers about how they approach sustainability, because the system is what it is. If you're going to sell clothes and you're going to wholesale you have a pressure to deliver. You can't actually say, 
I'm not going to. Well, you could. You could skip seasons, but I think you would. It, it's it's difficult to balance that with financial sustainability. A hundred percent. So yeah, I think you know when I think about sustainability, I think of how much excitement is around each product that we deliver, and are people going to be stoked to get this shirt? And like, it gets really. It can be really fulfilling because you know we launched like a pony bag that was made of dead stock raffia from the Prada factory in India. It's not at Prada factory, but they also make their raffia bags there. Um, and it was like a huge successful launch of this bag that we've been trying to launch for a long time. And, you know, a bunch of people bought it and it felt really great to know that we were able to create a product that was made from someone else's trash or leftover fabrications into something really cute that was a hyped around product that, you know, people could get excited about as well as I could be excited about. I was watching a show studio panel with Charlie Engman, who is your creative director, photographer, was your intern. What is he? Oh, he's like my brother, family. He's the art director of Clean Estrada. So everything that's like visual art aesthetic goes through Charlie they were discussing sustainability and he was saying that the two of you keep discussing that balance between feeling guilty almost about putting more stuff in the world but having to do that because you're creative not just for the commercial impetus but I think that's a tension lots of designers deal with if they're interested in sustainability or living more lightly on the planet the the most sustainable thing is to make nothing um but you know we all have a job to do and if I didn't create anything I would literally go crazy I mean in all honesty though like fashion might not be quote unquote sustainable forever you know like maybe the billionaires will come and save the planet and we don't have to care as much because they're doing it for us um maybe but until then, you know, it's our job to make things ethically and clean and responsible um, if we're going to make anything at all. It's not just the environmental side, though, is it? What about changing culture, creating community, inclusivity, diversity, all of that? Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just actually like who we are as people. So it became this talked about press worthy aspect, but it really just was a natural thing which is I don't know I don't even know how to explain it like yeah our Charlie's mom is in the show she's old cool like she's also just cool um you know like my friend who is not a size zero is in the show because she's hot and gorgeous and amazing person like it's not I shouldn't I don't know it feels really weird to be applauded for something that just is like natural yeah but it's interesting because the media has jumped on this with you and others now as suddenly this, oh, fashion's getting to grips with diversity and inclusion in all different ways all of a sudden, which it isn't for starters. But also, I guess it's it's a messed up lens, isn't it? Yeah, it's a messed up lens. But also, you know, it's a trend for the press to jump on at the moment and they have to do it to look clean or good themselves. It's just the antiquated culture of what people think fashion is. Fashion has always tried to be this like unattainable beauty or unattainable vision or, 
you know, that has to feel expensive and what people look to as expensive or what we've been trained to look to as expensive is, you know, uh, essentially a Cindy Crawford-esque person or Kate Moss selling us a perfume bottle. Um, And we've been, it's literally been ingrained in our minds for the past however many years we've been alive. So it's hard to change those perceptions of people that we've been you know have you ever seen um Josie and the Pussycats how they um (laughs) how they like oh put in the music like oh now the color is orange and everyone goes and buys orange um it's very that you know we're literally just there's a reason why Kim Kardashian has the most followers in the world there's a reason why we look to her or care about who the fuck she's dating or care about anything she's doing because We've been told to care. And so we've been told for so long to be visualized, this version of what high fashion is. And so when you change it, this small amount on the barometer, people's head explodes. <laughs> Do you hate it? I mean, you're no, in it. I, I love fucking with people. <laughs> I love like making their head explode. I love to be like, oh my God, you're so different and so weird. And like, yeah not I'm just a normal well I am kind of weird but yeah but to make them it's just funny it's funny to watch I enjoy it but you know they need people like us so to keep current quote unquote it's actually really frustrating isn't it I don't know I worked in fashion for conventional fashion and media for 20 years and I did not see it change I think they talk about change and they jump on the, they try to sell change as a headline. But I didn't see change when it came to sustainability, although I think it's obvious the conversation's evolved and that more people are aware of the issues. I think there is real change happening now in sustainability. I don't think maybe five years ago, definitely not. Um, I think now... It's interesting to watch. There's lots of technology. There's lots of things that are happening on a huge scale of how much product is being made in the world. I don't know how much change is being on that level. And that's what I'm really interested in doing. Like, I'm not interested. Like, Kalina Strada can be ethical and sustainable or whatever, but my scale is not going to impact the world. I want to go and, like, be involved in bigger companies and actually help use my name or like my current trend or my status or whatever I have to offer to help make their product cleaner and greener. And um, just like even implementing like more strategic business business strategies to like, you know, be like, okay, we're only going to make this many t-shirts. And, you know, it's kind of sickening the way like the fashion how things are sold and how things are made and like how sometimes they'll just make things that will automatically go on sale just to hit numbers in factories and it goes straight to sale or like goes to the outnet or goes to Nordstrom Rack and those are all like custom orders like why are we doing that well a lot of people aren't aware of how the system works and also the overproduction is factored into everybody's ordering just in case you might sell it by even I mean I was looking at numbers for this and we don't know what they are but they could be as much as 40% that people overproduce on purpose some stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. What do you think? I, for sure. It's, it's 100%. Um, so it's, 
it's shocking and it's like, okay, what if we just think smarter and like maybe we can just recut that shoe or recut that dress again to create it in a different color or the same, keep it in the collection if it sells. Like it doesn't have to change. I was reading something somewhere where someone had asked you about the evolution of styles and collections and that a buyer had said to you, oh, but it's too similar to last time. And you said, good, I don't want people to see such a giant leap from previous collections that something becomes obsolete. Yeah, it's also like if you buy Kalina Started last season, I don't want you to feel like you're walking around wearing last season's clothes. That's not what it's about. It, and it doesn't need to be that. It doesn't need to feel elitist in that way that like, oh, I couldn't afford the newest Kalina Strata. It's like, no, you bought it last, like three months ago. It's still new. You know, like just keep it in your closet and it's still going to mix in with something you buy in six months and you're still going to be wear, able to wear it together. That's the whole point. I don't want it to feel like, you know, like the legally blonde quote where it's like, don't stop your last season Prada shoes at me, honey. Like that shit. Like, what it is doesn't it? I need forgot. to be Say it again. <laughs> he's like, don't stop your last season Prada shoes at me, honey. Um, and he's, and then she's like, oh my God, he's gay. Um, and then she wins. Um, <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> I mean, that might be the only true good story about knowing <laughs> that someone's wearing last season's clothes. Um, but it was made up Hollywood fiction. Interesting. Um, so I think it's, you know, that's a good example of just like being able to buy something and not feel regret or feel like it's old. Because essentially, you know, it was interesting. I had Alessandro from Gucci in my studio um, a few weeks ago when he was oh, here for you? the Met. Yeah, and we looked, we were working on a, a little thing, um, and he just said something, and he was like, and it really resonated, he's like, yeah, I was like, which one do you like better? And he was like, this one sits in the closet longer. And I was like, interesting way to like approach design and approach an element of um, like, which one do you choose? Because like, yeah, one was a little bit more trend focused, and the other one was maybe less trendy. Um and more, yeah. And so essentially the less trendy one sits in your closet longer. And I just thought like, wow, if everyone started to design, it was like, okay, I'm going to design the one that sits in the closet longer. I don't know. It's interesting. He's very clever, isn't he? I think that he has got an interesting modern angle on where this is headed. Obviously he's got a lot of power, a lot of power to change the conversation, which they're yeah. doing in different ways. You you were part of Gucci Vault, weren't you? Yeah, I'm part of, and still part of it. Tell us um, about that for people who don't know what that is. Gucci Vault, well, it started with Gucci Fest, where it was like during the pandemic, they like picked 15 designers to do a show with them and it streamed on the Gucci platform. So we did that and that was in November of 2021. And the others and were like Alawalia, who else? I can't Alawalia, remember. Um, it was Bianca Sant, Saunders, um, there was a bunch. Anyways, but I mentioned that because good uh, all upcyclists. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was a really great selection of people. And then we started, then they launched Gucci Vault where they're actually selling product on Gucci's new website where they're selling their vintage. Um, 
which is super cool. And so they've included buying a bunch of brands and it's been really nice to work with them. Honestly, Gucci's like, I don't even just say this because I wouldn't work with a brand that isn't good to work with. They're actually good to work with and they let me do whatever I wanted to do. They've been really, yeah, it's a corporation. So sometimes things take longer than we want them to, but it's been really great to work with someone at that level that like appreciate it. And then also that, you know, they invite me to their fashion shows and like, they're honestly the sweetest. But they're also supporting, which comes down to him, I think, um, independent designers, which they don't need to do. No, they don't need to do it. And and that idea of, I when we're talking about the hierarchical nature of the kind of traditional fashion system. Hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> this is my dog. He's having a moment. He's worried. It is so nice to see you now. I wish we were videoing. I'm getting big. Like I've got the view of the chops smiling. <laughs> He's a Who happy is boy. This? this is my dog, Powie. Hi, Powie. He's a good boy. Um, yeah, when you talk about the top-down hierarchical nature of existing fashion system, actually for a brand, albeit I'm sure they have commercial advantage from doing this, but obviously you don't have to do it. But when a big, powerful brand starts to collaborate with or bring into their vision independence, it is changing the system or challenging it. Yeah, for sure. And also just like giving back in a way that they didn't have to. And it's interesting to be able to work in that level and like be... I mean, it's truly an honor. I'm I'm really happy and fortunate to be able to work with them. Let's talk about the Kalinas. If you had to give an elevator pitch, which I know you won't want to, but go on, do it. Tell us in three lines what that Wait, I have one. Was. Oh, do you? <laughs> I have it. Oh, my God, it's right so here. I'll tell you why I asked you to do that, but I didn't know you would have one. I thought you'd be like, I'm not doing that. We have online courses, and one of the things that we get people to do is to force themselves to elevate a pitch their mission because if you're oh, – really? an independent designer and you're starting out you hate doing that and you hate trying to sell it and put it into words but it forces you to pin down the key bits right it's true I mean I've done it a lot okay on the premiere episode of the Kalinas Tommy Dorfman heads to New York City for the opportunity of a lifetime an internship at Kalina Strata but when the struggles to adopt to the workplace culture and a plant-based diet her dream job turns into a wake-up call can Tommy make it in the high stakes world of sustainable fashion <laughs> um a sort of arch spoof or response to the hills yes. uh with a cast of Kalinas I loved it there's some did you write the script oh uh, yeah Charlie and I wrote it together but yeah my favorite and line Charlie, was you're eating fear oh yeah that's well that's like what I used to say when people like didn't know what being a vegan or vegetarian was or like they're like why are you that and I just used to be like I don't want to eat fear and that was like my fashion way of saying that like in Paris and all these places that they'd be like oh interesting that's so like woke new agey of you and like energy I totally get it like the aura is off and I'd be like yeah I just like really don't eat fear but yeah I was basically when I was writing it with Charlie I would like call him on my way walking to the studio every day and I'd be like I would say a line he'd be like, you know, you're just fully making fun of yourself right now. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the point. Like if you can't make fun of yourself and how you engage and like your totally irrational reasons of why you don't eat meat, like then what's the point? 
Um, tell us about. Well, actually, before we get off this, I did. The, the, there's another good scene in this where Tommy gets her coffee, goes out with the guys from the office, and has a disposable cup. And you're watching it as a sustainability person, thinking, "No, not the disposable cup." And that's the point, right? So they're all like, yeah. "Ew!" And they have reusable Kalinostrata crystal strewn bottles. Yeah. Well, that was just a a gag, also, because it's kind of real. Because Tommy always has one. I love well, her. it made me think. I mean, <laughs> I always wonder why Anna Winter is always seen with the Starbucks cup. Uh, is she still? Well, always was. I've seen those seventy-eight questions things with the cup, the cup outside the shows. People still doing it, and even though it's such They're a still tiny thing. Well, during COVID, you couldn't really do it so that was upsetting mm. covid they wouldn't let you use your reusable cup but now i hope it's fine i mean i've been using it so i don't drink coffee though in the morning so i'm a, a like a you know enigma in that sense <laughs> no shit we're not allowed to throw shade on anna because she is a big supporter of yours and in, indeed came to the launch of the, she did of come the film to the queeners yeah no, I don't have shade on her. I mean, it is what it is. You know, Vogue is what it is. Well, she's helped you. Yeah, no, a thousand percent super helpful. And, you know, like the opportunities that she's given me, you know, not many people can give you those opportunities. Um, you were a CFDA um, moment. When was that? It's 2019. I definitely lost. Oh, well, I was like fourth place, I guess. But then... There's no losing. Come on. I mean, there is losing. Uh, It was funny, though, because then in 2020 came, then they're like, Hillary, help. (laughs) I was like, hi, do you care about inclusivity now? All right. um, What's the point of making a, a film like that? Obviously, it's super fun, but it's also got messages. I want to talk about how you can bring humor into this can be quite heavy stuff and why that's powerful. I mean, it's just what we do. We we create I don't think you can get anyone to change their ways without making them happy or laugh or feel a certain way. There has to be a level of positive reinforcement. Um I think when it comes to it but, or like even the fact that they think it's cool. Great. You know, so if you're creating that, I don't know, platform for them to be like, oh, if I recycle my cup or bring in a, re- get a clean starter bottle and use it to put my coffee in, like, great. You know, we're changing one person's small part of their life, like daily routine. And if we can do that, you know, that's the best. I mean, how much can you really change a person through watching a film? You tell me. It changes culture, doesn't it? If it's I don't know. Kathy Horn Kathy Horn wrote something funny and I saw her in Paris right afterwards and I was like she was like, Oh, Kalina's the Kalina's was so fun. I loved watching it. I went left right away and ate a burger. I was like, Okay, Kathy, go off. <laughs> God. <laughs> um You've done lots of things through shows to get people talking about sustainability. I love that you worked with Celine Saman. She's the founder of the Slow Factory. I know her. She's a radical activist, actually, Celine. Yeah, she, she is. She helped you on spring 2020, didn't she? 
Yes, she did with a we did like a little guide that you could put on your fridge of like how to start like live s- small slowly. Small, that's not the right word. Just to live like a few words to live by. Compost. Yeah. Tell us about exactly. that show. I was cute. We basically did like a f- a fake farmers market in a park and we got all these food that was like waste food from um misfits market and then one of my my florist one show she was working on didn't want any oranges in their show and so they gave she found they were gonna throw away 1800 oranges and so we had like three tables of citrus oranges that were literally waste from another fashion show because they didn't like the color let's talk about dead stock then so obviously oranges aren't dead stock however using stuff that has been left aside shall we say Mm -hmm. i want to get your take on this i was thinking about this the other day and i think we have to rename dead stock available fabric for sale because the industry is using dead stock as an excuse to say look how sustainable we are when actually much of the dead stock people buy they've always bought i used to have a label 10 years ago i used to buy it it was wholesaled it's just fabric people don't use anymore most of it is not destined for landfill that's my point and yet the, the oh, but media say oh it's destined for landfill but i think there's it? two kinds of dead stock in that sense because the dead stock i go by is like i'm in a basement in new jersey filled with rats um that literally the fabric has not seen the light of day for 30 years so and yeah maybe it would never end up in a trash but it's definitely going to get destroyed actually it would end up in the trash i'm gonna lie because it's going to get fucking destroyed in that basement and then they're not going to be able to sell it so yeah they're it's not going dead stock is not going to midtown and buying fabric off of a roll in midtown in the fashion industry in the fashion district um you have to like go hunt for your treasure is what I do. But yeah, yeah. but I think people are now because it's a hip word that Oh yeah, uh, but that's called greenwashing and that's okay and they're going to do it whether they use 50% less water to make a linen or or buy fabric in the district. You know, it's, it's you're going to get the greenwashing whether or not you change the verbiage. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I I do think from a long time of independent designers talking about using surplus as a response to overproduction, which I think is valid, it's just become this thing that everyone's like, oh, it's all dead stock. But you know that actually is what you didn't use a role from last season that is still in your studio dead stock? No. Oh, no, it's not. Unless it was dead stock before. I mean, but it's also, you know, you can't shame anyone for reusing fabric. That's True. the right thing to do. <laughs> Even if it's not quote unquote dead stock, it's still, you can't shame them for using everything that they have in the studio. What is the biggest challenge for you when it comes to trying to figure out these ways to, you said, design more consciously? Getting fabric, getting the right amount, of, getting enough fabric to produce. We just always underproduced for our sales because there's not enough. Um, And 
being able to make the product that I want to make. Sometimes I just actually can't make it based off of what I have available to me. We ha- we haven't talked about how you make it. Your factory's in Midtown, right? Yeah, I have a few. Um, a few factories in Midtown. We go to the factory every day to check in and we take the train back and forth, bringing production, schlepping around, like the amount of fabric and stuff that is moved around in the city versus on airplanes is wild. We know the families. We work with two like small families. You know, during the pandemic, their kids were taking school in the factory and just like you can, you know whose life you're changing or giving work to. And there's no weird behavior. There's no like, you know, child workers. There's no, none of that. So it's pretty, you know, there's no slavery. And you can't really tell when you're, you know, the stories we hear are real because we hear them and they're real. And there's probably a lot more that we don't hear. When did you wake up to this? Do you want to tell us the story about looking around you when you were designing accessories and using leather and being confronted by? Yeah, I mean, I was using leather and I was using like no chrome leather. So it was like veggie washed, eco leather, quote unquote. And I just like, I had a huge order and I just remember having to pick through the skins because the skins were all, um, had like too many tick marks on them. So like you couldn't really produce with the fat, with the materials. And it was like $30,000 with the materials or something crazy for me because I was like in my early 20s and I was like, this is so much money and I'm going to die because I'm going to lose all this money and my business is going to go bankrupt. And I just like looked around and I saw all this like death and there was, I was surrounded by dead animals and I was like, and literally dead animals that have like bugs on them, you know, and that's reason why it was like, they were just living their life and then they were slaughtered. Where were you? In Midtown somewhere. My, I think at my handbag manufacturer. And I just like was crying and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I stopped. I feel like I've been to, I'd have to look it up, I can't remember where it was now, but I've been to a leather supplier in Midtown on some kind yeah, of Yeah, there's jungle. a bunch. Yeah. But actually when you do see the volume of skins, because that's what they are, um, and I should say I'm not vegan and I wear leather, but I remember being really confronted in that warehouse because it smells of leathery, leather smells, doesn't it? And just the volume. When you see the scale of things, it's, it can hit you, can't it? Yeah, and that's when you're even going to those leather places, that's not even the scale. That's just their sample showroom. And then when you get production, you're getting boxes and boxes and cre- like pallets of leather. Um, and I wear leather too. And I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm a soft vegan because when I travel, I can't be super vegan. But um, what's a soft vegan? <laughs> no, like if I'm in Paris and like, I have to maybe eat an egg to get any type of protein in my body so I don't die. And like if I'm working like 18 hours and someone brings me something with a piece of cheese on it, like I'll eat around the cheese. (laughs) That's a soft vegan. (laughs) It's survival of the fittest over here. (laughs) Um, You know, it's hard to to be a... You know, I don't have the Gucci budget yet (laughs) to get my chef to make me vegan food every day. (laughs) 
But yeah, the leather. But the leather, I think it's more so, you know, I'll wear leather, but I just don't think that Kalina needs to be making, you know, leather products by me. It's I don't think it's necessary right now. You know, maybe... I don't know. Leather is a tricky one because, you know, we do, it is a byproduct of the industry of eating meat. But if we stopped eating so much meat, would we have that much leather? Period. Where does this come from in you? What do you mean? The activism bit. Like, were you, were you a kid who questioned? I was a horrible child. (laughs) I was horrible. Um, but I think I was like, I grew up like I came out of the womb six weeks early. I wanted to come out 12 weeks early. I was like, I am ready to do this. This is not my first life. Let's go. I have things to do. Like I'm busy. And it's ever since I was little, I was like always like kind of an adult. And I'd be like, this is what this is. And this is why I believe in this and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think, you know, also I was a child of an Egyptian immigrant male who didn't allow women to be heard. Um so I feel like now my voice is like, I, you can hear me now, right? <laughs> what did your parents do? My dad is a doctor. My mom worked in finance. And you grew up in LA? Yeah, I grew up in LA. Um, and they fully were like, what is fashion? Why do you care? Fully against it. So where did it come from? Did it come from when your mum said you can redesign your bedroom and you went, I want to turn it into a Perspex beach with sand? Yeah, basically. (laughs) That, yeah, I can't believe they never thought I was going to be an artist. They were like super shocked by it when I dropped out of college. And I was like, girls, what are you, like my mom used to bribe me. I used to compete riding horses. She's like, if you win, I'll take you to Fred Siegel. I'll be like, oh, okay. And that's like how she would bribe me. She would bribe me with clothes or fashion. Um, but then they didn't understand it. Are they and proud of you like, now? I don't know. I guess. As my, as I mean, the relationship is a little skewed, but you know, who can tell if they really understand what I'm doing to the level that I'm doing it? But like. That's for my younger self to heal from. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, if you were a horse riding kid, is that why the Met Gala dress for Kim? Oh, yeah. Well, so that was one of, based off of my horse that I had named Kangaroo. Um, named Kangaroo, and then the one, like an Aussie. Yeah. And uh, he was cute because he used to jump really high. Um, so that's why they called him Kangaroo. And then... The, ho- the horse I was wearing was named Justin. And that was my first pony. So basically when I got my first pony, I cried for a week because she wasn't the right color. I was like super sensitive to color. As a brat. Child. Yeah. <laughs> Big brat. Huge brat. But like I had picked out, my mom told me she was gray, right? And then she turned out to be like spotted. And so I thought she was a spotted gray, like a dapple gray, but she was dark gray. And so the whole color scheme that I had bought for her before she had gotten to the barn was for not as a dark gray pony. So I was very upset because like this whole purple color scheme I was going for just didn't work with her. So it took me a really long time to get over that. And she then was she was like, gray. <laughs> yeah, basically. For, for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, a gray horse is actually white. Yeah, true. I mean, that's, that's the language. 
Yeah. I'm not I'm not revealing my pony club past. So, For people so who don't I'm, know what we're talking about, Kim Petras's horse dress at the Met Gala was what? Could you describe it? What a chestnut horse named Kangaroo. Um as the body. It was just yeah, it's it was it's like a, a separate piece. We're calling it a horse set. Um so it goes on top of the dress. But it was more of like, okay, it's American fashion. What does that mean for theme? And then I was like, okay, like, I guess for me, you know, like Kentucky Derby, American, like it's very horse related, I think, like culturally, um, or at least in my version of America, because I grew up with horses. But I feel like there's a really sense of American horse with fashion for some reason. Um but that's the whole reason, like, I know how to work with leather. And that's how I started making handbags in the first place is because when I was five years old, I had to clean tack every day. Um, so I knew how to stitch leather back together at, like, at the age of eight. Um, did you know that there is a YouTube crafter making her own version of your dress? She's German. It's quite funny. Have you seen Oh, that? I think I saw. <laughs> I think I saw. It. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Good job. Um but yeah, that dress was cool. I mean, I don't know. I thought if I was going to go to the Met once, I wanted to do something that was like, like we did it at Gag. Um, I asked you where this came from in you, but just tell us how you started. So, I mean, you've been, Kalina Strata started in 2009, right? Yeah, I was a kid. Um, Where did you study? I, I studied. I studied fashion and a business. I got a business degree in fashion, whatever that means. Um, so I started the business then when I was in fashion school, and it just kind of kept going. I thought it would be like, oh, this is my gonna be my first brand, and we'll see how long it goes. Look at me now, first brand. <laughs> the recent profile in Harper's Bazaar said of you this, looking back on Tamor's 14-year archive, she's been maddening, maddeningly ahead of the curve. Tamor 2017, every designer in Paris now. <laughs> That's very nice of Farron to say. Um, <laughs> sure, I'll take it. But you've been doing no this notes. since 2009. <laughs> Why do you think it's taken so long to be the hot new thing press-wise? I mean, I'm not a super wealthy person. I don't know. I think, you know, there's not a lot of money being spent on Kalina Strada. And, you know, without a ton of money, I don't think people realize that a, a lot of that press is bought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we finish on the clothes? We haven't even talked about the clothes. Um, oh, yeah. Hilary, finish by describing some of the pieces. Okay, so I'm a girl that likes to wear like three shirts at once all the time. So that's kind of how the layering works. In the cleanest, Tommy's wearing like, she opens wearing a cargo pant, like a printed cargo pant that we call pony party because there's ponies and kiwis and all sorts of things, all ponies. Um, and then a, like a satin summer dress over like a long sleeve button up with a mini skirt belt and a frog bag it's really hard for me to explain what the dresses look like because it's just such a 
different thing to explain because like you can't explain the type of color and patterns we're using because they're psychotic um so unless you look at it then you know but if you're like a blank piece of paper what is glena strata on a piece of paper it's literally chaos (laughs) um which is the way i like it thank you for listening to wardrobe crisis you can find the show notes for each episode and read our magazine over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Because I love you, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you.